With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. On today's show, LAFC coach Bob Bradley joins me to discuss this week's LA Derby, his exile status with the U.S. Soccer Federation, his thoughts on Zlatan Ibrahimovic coming to L.A., and his memories of working in Egypt with the young Mohamed Salah. Look, you could tell, and he was so hungry to get better. Uh, he wanted to work on his finishing. He, when you showed him things in training, the next day you'd see him doing it, with it without even thinking about it. So, look, Salah is a special guy. All that and more coming up. LAFC meets its intra-city rival, the LA Galaxy, this Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern on Big Fox. Bob, thanks for joining me. All right, Grant. Good to be here, man. Great to have you back on the show. Lots to talk about, so I will dive right in. Uh, two wins and two games for LAFC in its first season in MLS. Both games on the road, one nothing at Seattle, 5-1 at Salt Lake. It's a small sample size, obviously, and it's still early in the season, but it's, it's still impressive. How did this happen? I think we have a good group of players, and from the beginning of uh, preseason, we started to establish some ideas and challenge the group that they've got to show up every day with uh, good uh, mentality, bring their personalities, uh, and then little by little, you try to turn it into something, but... Uh, uh, you know, in the early stages, it's always good to win. It's nice as you're trying to build something to take points. And it's nice that in moments, I think there's been some some good football, fun to watch. But I also see a lot of things that need to improve. Like what? Well, you know, look, when, when you talk about good teams, you talk about ideas and you talk about connections on the field. And so uh, in certain situations, you, you try to get – a team to understand that if you play out on the right side, that how do you, what kind of options do you create? And then, uh, you know, uh, can you, can it go from one to two to three to four in, in as quick and efficient, uh, as way as possible. And so we have a few moments where you can see that happening, but we have other moments where it can get stuck on two or stuck on three. And, you know, you, th- this part of, of, of football where the best teams, have these ideas and it's it's in certain situations so clear to to players what's happening next and and that type of understanding also takes time and that type of uh execution has to be worked on over and over and over so you know this is still you name the sport but uh this is what happens when good teams really get to a high level so you know, if you go watch Golden State play basketball, then, you know, it's not just that they say keep the ball moving and then when you get an open shot, take it. There's certain things, certain understandings, certain spaces they take up, and then the whole thing takes on a whole different life. That's what happens when you watch the best teams play football. That's what Barcelona's all about. You know, it, it goes so easily sometimes from Sergio Roberto to Busquets to Iniesta that it's it's just natural. and And then... When Iniesta gets it already, Messi's on the move or, uh, you know, uh, the next player knows what's happening. And and so you're trying when, when you start to work with a team to, like I said, you want to establish some personality and identity, but you, you want to start to establish some football ideas that, that eventually can show up a little bit. You've got the LA Galaxy coming up next for you. Obviously, lots of anticipation for this game. It's a national game on Big Fox. What does this moment... What's Big Fox? Big Fox is not FS1. This is uh, okay. the Simpsons Fox. This is, Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, big audience out there for this game. Uh, Good. What, what does this moment mean for your team? It's exciting. Uh from from the start when 
uh, LAFC uh, was named to come into the league and obviously high-powered ownership and a lot of excitement. There was always this sense of then two big teams in one city. And, and again, we know in football, uh, whether we're talking about Galatasaray and Fenerbahce or whether we're talking about Ali and Zamalek or AC Milan or Inter Milan, Real Madrid, Atletico, it goes on and on. Derbies are special. And we're, we're new, but um, there's a lot of excitement in and around our club. Uh, the the people who have been part of LAFC from day one uh, have such a kind of energy that there's there's uh, there's a real passion for for our club with with our supporters and and they're excited and so you know derbies have become big games and and big games challenge players to step up and so that that's that's exciting that's what it's all about. Um, StubHub uh, is still a great stadium for football. Uh, I'm hoping that the field's in great shape. I'd like to bet that the field will be watered before the game, which has a lot to do with also making the game better, and that two teams can get on the field and get after it in a way that's fun to watch. Now, Zlatan Ibrahimovic has been signed by the LA Galaxy. Uh, we're recording this about a week out and now it's being said that he is in a position where he might be part of their squad for your game, whether he's a part of it or not. What does Ibrahimovic coming to L.A., being a part of this rivalry, a part of MLS, mean? It makes everything bigger because look at what he's done in his career. and He's a huge personality, and uh, obviously on the field, uh, things he can do. And so, you know, there'll always be questions when a player comes to the league um and he's a little bit older um, but you can't take anything away from Ebro in his career man the the trophies and the personality uh and then uh you know what he's able to do on the field uh you know we had a friendly years ago when i was coaching the u.s team and 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 you know he's He's such a big guy, but his way of taking certain balls, I mean, it's Marco von Boston, but he's even bigger. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think, uh, you know, th- there's no exact science to bringing players to the league. And uh, uh, certainly David Villa speaks to the idea that if you come and you're motivated and you're a great player, uh, look at what can happen. So uh, it makes the rivalry better. You had uh, a couple really good podcast interviews not long ago with uh, Hurt Gomez and Max Bredos over at ESPN, also with the Extra Time Radio guys at MLS. Um, In one of those interviews, you said that as you took the job at LAFC, you had a great hour-long conversation with Peter Guber, who's one of the owners of LAFC. And I was just curious to know, what did you guys get into? Why was it such a great conversation? Peter's an incredible guy, and uh, you know when when I met, uh, he calls it his office, but it's a beautiful space with uh, memorabilia of so many things that have happened in his career in terms of both movies and sports. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about the Dodgers, and we talk about Golden State, and Steve Kerr, and Dave Roberts, and leadership, and. And he does it in such a down-to-earth way. I mean, he says, look, um, as an owner, here's what you can expect. If you need me, I'm here. Uh, You know, I'm always paying attention. I'm a sounding board. But, you know, at the same time, I'm not going to be in the middle of it. I understand how these things work. And and so the conversation just, uh, uh, it was real. And, And whenever you have an opportunity to sit and talk with people who have been successful, who still have humility, who are, are so bright and, and have this way of sharing their experiences along the way. And, and, you know, Peter, he talks a lot about what it takes to really collaborate. And, and, and I think that is such an important part of being successful in, in anything and, and the ability to Challenge people around you, get people on the same page, make sure people show up every day with ideas and excitement about what's going on, knowing that their opinion counts. 
uh, yeah, it was just a, a, an awesome discussion. And uh, since then, I've had a few other opportunities. Uh, I got to head north and see uh, Golden State Warriors play Boston Celtics with them. And uh, those are special opportunities. I should also mention for our listeners, Peter Goobers, in addition to being an LAFC owner, one of the owners of the LA Dodgers and the Golden State Warriors. Um, yeah. When you decided to come back to MLS, Bob, I wasn't sure that you were going to do it. I wasn't sure if maybe you thought you had some unfinished business in Europe. And I was wondering if you thought you had any unfinished business in Europe. Uh, look, you know me, I like challenges. Um, but I also... Uh, appreciate opportunities where you can take your ideas and try to turn it into something. Um, do I have unfinished business in Europe? Yeah, sure I do. Uh-huh. I, I still feel like uh, uh, I haven't completely proven myself there. And, and that's always something that motivates me. But the challenge of making a team, of, of having a group come together and uh, – play really good football and, and have a personality and, and, and do something where on the inside, you know, you're part of something special, uh, along the way, uh, I'm, I'm proud of the moments when I feel like those things happened and whether that's all the way back to Princeton and, and, you know, you were a student covering soccer at Princeton when we had a, a team in 1993 that made it to the final four Indeed. and, and for soccer, in the Ivy League at that time, getting to the Final Four was a big deal. And, and yeah, you know, I'm still uh, pissed off that we lost the UVA in the semifinal. Uh, but obviously UVA, uh, with Bruce as the head coach and with Claudio Reyna, they had a great team. Um, but, but still, the starting point of what happened with that group, uh, you know, every now and then when you and I share emails, I think I bounced – uh, a letter that I wrote to to the players on that team when they were celebrating the 20th mm -hmm. anniversary. Yep. And, uh, you know, I wasn't able to be there with them. But but this idea that when, when a group comes together, when there's experiences, when, you know, I, I, I challenged that group in ways that were different for them. And we all still remember that. And so, you know, when, when you start with a team and you start to establish some sense of what you want to be and how we're going to get there. I love that part. And, uh, that has always been my motivation. If, if, uh, if that can happen in Europe, uh, and, and people there get to see it because obviously we're all trying to earn respect, uh, worldwide for what goes on in the U S and that's not always easy. Um, but at the same time, uh, you start with a new group here, you look at them, you say, uh, I don't know you guys yet. You don't know me. Um, but listen, don't be afraid to show up every day and let me know who you are. Let's, let's get to know each other in the right ways. I'm going to push and yell and scream and hug and do all the things that probably go with the territory. And, uh, and let's see what happens. So, uh, yeah, when, when I sat and had an opportunity to discuss things first with John Thorrington and Tom Penn and then later with Peter Goober and Larry Berg and Brandon Beck and others, then, uh, yeah, I was very excited. Now, you mentioned earlier the phrase, good soccer, good football. Um, and I've heard you say that over the years. What do you think good football should look like, and is that possible in MLS? Uh, it's always possible. Um, Again, I, I've talked a little bit about identity and personality uh, so that that as a group, when you go on the field, like you, you've got to have some sense of, of you know, w when we go on the field, you know, not only what we're going to play like, and I'll get to that more in a second, but when things go against us, how will we respond? If we go down, are we a team that's going to? Give up or are we going to still have something in us that looks for ways to fight back in the game? Uh, you know, this comes from personality. This comes from mentality. This is you're trying to draw that out of a group on a regular basis. If you're lucky to have important leaders, then it's easier. Uh, but but beyond that, then 
for me, what I love in, in the best teams that I appreciate the most is still uh, that that team has a real idea of how to play. It has intelligence. It has a sense of how to uh, the, the, how the understanding of players on the field uh, and situations and what makes sense. All of that comes into play. And, and so, you know, if I was a student at Princeton and I was watching a Pete Carrill basketball practice, uh, there were things that, that you saw in that practice in terms of not only passing, but the difference between a good pass and a bad pass and spacing and and how as one guy moved in one direction, if someone moved in the other direction, that that could create a problem defensively. And so, look, those are the same kind of things that you see with good teams in football, all right? Um, I still, the, 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 the fluidity of Barcelona, the way that the ball moves from one player to the next, obviously the freedom of Messi to then get on the ball and decide in certain moments, am I doing it on my own or is it just time to play a couple of touches, a couple of passes with Busquets or in the pass with Javi and then wait for the next moment? So I still love football with ideas. And if I see a game play and a team is out there and there seems to be no real sense of what it's doing, then for me, something's wrong. So good football for me starts with ideas. Okay. So what did you see as the most important parts of building your team with LAFC before the season started? Well, if you talk about good football, then, then you want guys that you think, uh, if you have them around every day, you can open up their minds a little bit. You can challenge them in good ways. That even if they're good players, you know, Benny Fallhaber is a good player. I've worked with him. I know that when he has the ball at his feet, a lot of really good things can happen. But uh, Benny also knows that, that I'm going to be on top of him, that certain plays will develop. And whether he's looked before he got the ball and whether he receives it with his left foot or his right foot or how he finds space, all those things are going to be important. And so I wanted players that I thought, if, if we try to open up their minds football-wise, if we try to challenge them, if we try to say, look, here's what the best teams can do. Are we a great team? No, we haven't played any games yet. But can we see some of these details and then understand what they're about and try to get them to happen with our team? So, you know, I wanted players like that. I wanted attacking players that I thought were exciting that could go by people that could make things happen i wanted midfielders that could give the team rhythm and and could uh make the right decisions to help us control the game i wanted defenders central defenders that weren't afraid to step up and make plays and could make passes out of the back i wanted outside backs that in some moments could come inside and make passes and in other moments could join in the attack and get forward so, you know, you've got a picture of how all these different things happen in the best teams, and you're looking for as many of the right kind of guys as you can get your hands on. I wanted to ask about a couple players specifically. One is Diego Rossi, who's still a teenager. Uh, oh, I think he's 20 now. Oh, did he turn 20? Okay. I think so. No yes. longer a teenager. Good to hear. Could you take me through your process with him sort of from the moment you identified him as a guy that you might be interested in to the signing to your work with him in preseason and now? Yeah, when, when I got started, uh, John and Will Koontz and I obviously started sharing ideas on, on where we could look for players. Uh, uh, you always hear from agents, but we also uh, had some some people on the ground in, in different places. And, you know, we've, we've got um, uh, a, a great guy uh, in Uruguay uh, who's got experience, who's been around, um, who's got great eyes that we thought uh, uh, that Victor uh, De Los Santos could could help us. And so we started talking about players and I was in Uruguay and I was in Paraguay and I was in Argentina a bunch of times and I was in Peru and I was in Ecuador. And, you know, I, I made sure that, uh, you know, I 
started to see players. And, and look, that's, that's how it starts. I mean, I saw Jesus Medina play. Uh, the game I was there, he didn't start. Uh, I know he's a good player, and, and I didn't see him on his best day live, but certainly I knew he would come into the league and be exciting. I saw Ezekiel Barco play. I saw Gamara play. But when I saw Diego, uh, I really felt that he was an exciting player. He was explosive. He had always a next gear that in certain moments he could take a ball on the move with people around him and still have a way to control and go by, go by people. Uh, and, and, you know, Peñarol is, is a huge club. And mm -hmm. when you play at Peñarol, when you come through there, Uh, first of all, there's guys like Walter Gargano and Maxi Rodriguez. And so you get challenged by guys that are winners. Mm -hmm. And, you you know, you, you've got to be able to, uh, to if, if you're going on the field with guys like that, you got to hold up your end of the deal. You can't be a little kid. <laughs> and, and so I felt like, you know what, Diego had a great upbringing. Uh, they won last year, so he knew what that was all about uh, when I had the chance to meet and uh and talk to him a little bit he's bright he's humble so yeah i mean i really enjoyed getting to montevideo seeing him on a couple of occasions and then the discussions were such that uh uh you know we we felt like we had a real chance you know victor's known him since he since he was young and so he also knew the family he came from so i think all of the important areas were uh were exactly what you'd look for. And so um, I'm really pleased that Diego's off to a good start. There's a lot more there. Uh, we need to keep pushing him. But I'll tell you what, he's, he's, a, he's a great guy. And, uh, you know, I think in the first few weeks, people have gotten a glimpse of, of football-wise what he's all about. Another guy I wanted to ask you about is Carlos Vela. Uh, obviously an older player, has been in Europe for several years. Um Is it a position where he needs to be playing well at club level to make sure he goes to the World Cup? Uh, in terms of your team, what have you asked Carlos Vela for from him? You know, I, at times I say to him, I want you to be our version of Messi. In other <laughs> moments, uh, well, why not? You know, I mean, okay. I, I, I mean I, I, look, there's only one Messi. Is, is he, I think we all use the same expression. Everyone says... He's from another planet. Right. And, you know, the pure joy of watching him, we're also fortunate just to see what he's able to deliver over and over and over. Um, but look, Carlos is talented. And Carlos is still, in his own way, capable of uh, scoring goals, setting up goals. Obviously, you can use him in different ways. He can come from the right side. You can play him underneath a striker. You can play him as the striker. So... You know, I, I, I really enjoyed getting to know Carlos. Uh, he's an engaging guy. He's full of personality. Yeah. He was so motivated to come here. And uh, from the beginning, when we started training, uh, he's great with his teammates. You know, he comes in smiling and, and uh, you know, if certain and in training, if I don't like something he does and I'm screaming at him like anybody else, you know, he... He knows that, that somewhere in there I'm trying to push him and make him better. But, uh, man, he's a good guy. And, and look, we all know football-wise. You don't go to La Liga and have a, a stretch like he had at Real Sociedad if you're not a, a really talented player. And, and, and look, the last part is this. Um, and I, you know, I've coached some, some pretty big guys over the years. And... You know, I, 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 Peter Novak obviously had been captain of Poland. He had done really well at 1860 Munich. But the thing that I used to talk to him about was, was as big as he was, um, I still felt that like when he came to Chicago, the chance for that to really be like his team, for him to put his stamp on a team. And, and I, I reminded him that, look, you can be a great, a great player. You can have a big career. But you don't get that kind of opportunity very often. And that's still something when you look back that's special. And, you know, whether it happens in the Bundesliga or whether it happens in uh, La Liga or whether it happens in MLS, 
when when you are the guy and it's on your shoulders and your personality has to come through over and over and over yes it's a lot of responsibility and and yes i i know sometimes some guys can't handle that but for the best players i i try to turn that into a positive i try to say you know man you and i are in this together and i i want you to embrace this thing and make it special. I want it to be yours. And so, yeah, I, I, I love trying to challenge guys in that way. And Carlos is no different. He's been great with every part of it. When you challenge guys, and I have been challenged by you many times over the years, and I enjoy it most of the time, um, is that something that works well with every player? And when it doesn't work well, how do you recalibrate? Uh, it doesn't work well with every player. Um, you know, you, you, you try, first of all, to understand in every case, whether it's a big player, whether it's a young player, you try to figure out how to connect with guys. And, and that's not just about challenging. That's encouraging. That's getting to know them. That's trying to understand how they think and personality. And so, so in the midst of all that, you hope that they can see how much you care, that you want them to be better. Uh, and, and then you try to figure out um, what they can handle. Uh, you know, wh when I went to the Metro Stars, um, I really tried with Clint Mathis. And, you know, look, Clint's a great guy. And, you know, by the time I got there, he, he maybe after some injuries, was no longer as dynamic and incredible as he had been a few years ago. But I, I thought maybe it was the time where he could take more responsibility. And in the end, you know, that probably didn't fit him. He wanted to still, in his own way, come in and out every day and have fun and, and, and not be held accountable. And, and, and so, yeah, I mean... I probably got that one wrong, not because I didn't try and not because he didn't try, but I just couldn't find the right way with him. Um, but I'll tell you what, in most other cases, when I look back, uh, the, 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 the experiences that I've had with some of these guys where we are blood brothers and we do uh, go to bat for each other over and over, uh, the, the, the feedback that you continue to get from those guys for me, is reinforcement that, look, this is the way to do it. And so, you know, I'll always give it my best and see what happens. When you were the Egypt national team coach, you worked with a young rising player named Mohamed Salah. Uh, you worked with several other great players as well in your time over there. But with Salah getting to this place where he is right now in world it's soccer, inc it's a special place. Huh? Yeah, no, I mean, like, could you tell our listeners a little bit about your original experiences with him and if you saw this potentially happening someday? But it, it's pretty, I mean, it, it's, it's incredible. That's the only word I can think of. Uh, when I got to Egypt, uh, my assistant, uh, so I had, of course, Zaki Abdel, mm -hmm. my goalkeeper coach now in LAFC, who had been with me with the U.S. team, uh, and uh, Tomek Kasbarik. Uh, who is a young coach who also had done some fitness work, who had done an internship at, uh, at that time, Athletes Performance, and, and was working in Germany. He had, he's a Polish young man who, who had done schooling and worked in Germany. Um, but the assistant that I was able to get from Egypt was Dia El Said. And Dia had been the under-20 coach when Salah Ghazi. Omar Gaber, uh, uh, my man Nene, when all those guys were there, they played in September of 2011 in Colombia with the under-20s. And so I got there in October. And uh, I mean, Dia, even now when, I, when, when you look at what's happened with that group of players, Dia deserves so much credit, all right? He is such a special guy. And, you know, we, we had a game uh, a month later in October, we still gave more of the veterans chances, but we were going and watching games and, and Nene and Salah played for Arab contractors. They were a young team. Um, and they, in, in moments 
looked like they could play football, but they they they, they look like a, a, a talented under nineteen team playing in a men's league. Mm. And and you could see that Salah had something, but you know, you didn't fully understand the timing of, of when it was all gonna come together. And then as everybody knows, February first of twenty twelve was was this massacre in Port Said. And the league was shut down and we had a World Cup qualified in June. And we had to come up with ways to prepare a team. And so we had camps. Uh, we couldn't play games in Egypt. We had to set up friendlies through match agents uh, in Dubai and Abu Dhabi and Khartoum, Sudan, and you name it. We, we, we were a traveling roadshow. Uh, but when that happened, the key was we were able to start to bring in those young guys and see them up close. And from the first day when you got Salah in there, you you realized how special he was. So explosive, uh, so quick, still raw, but wanted to learn, smart, and and uh, immediately Abu Treka formed a, a connection with him. Where when Abu Treka had the ball, Salah had a certain understanding that uh, he liked to come from the the right side, from outside in, and and Treka had ways to find him with certain passes, and. Uh, and so, look, you, you could tell, and he was so hungry to get better. Uh, he wanted to work on his finishing. He, he, when you showed him things in training, the next day you'd see him doing it, with it without even thinking about it. So, uh, look, Salah is a special guy. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm surprised that, that, that it didn't like, – like, look, he was at Chelsea and, and – and they have veterans, but I thought that it would even happen there. Huh. Um, but, you know, look, for different reasons, it didn't. I, I've heard, you know, that guys like Drogba and Hazard, who saw him at Chelsea, all to this day say he didn't get enough opportunities there. But, you know, Jose's not always one who's given opportunities for young players. But... He, he went to Fiorentina, he went to Roma, and then now this time around uh, at Liverpool, uh, obviously, what a season. And, and when you think about, you know, not only being explosive and, and being, being a real threat, but the goals that he's now scoring, uh, the different kind of finishes, uh, I, I'm so thrilled for him because, like I said, he's worked very hard at it and, and uh, you know, there's always been something there that you knew was just really different what is it situationally that Salah has had the opportunity to do at Liverpool that he didn't have as much with his previous stops yeah but you have to understand I mean look and he went first to Basel and FC Basel is a great club mm -hmm. and it's a really good club for for a young guy and so when he got there uh, he had some great days and that's where you know, I think he scored some goals against Tottenham in Europa League, and that's where people started to 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 see how special he was. He jumped to to Chelsea, and again, the mix of young guys and and veterans, and then and do young players get real opportunities? That's always a question mark in in different clubs. And so, for, for whatever reason, uh, it didn't really happen there. And there were times when I watched him there and I felt like when he did get chances uh, it's almost like he was rushing things everything was as much as he had speed like he, he he never seemed to in certain moments also shift down and slow down everything was like 90 miles an hour and 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 so maybe he he was also putting more pressure on himself but that's part of then the 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 steadiness of management and coaching where you, you, you see this talent and then you, you also know how step-by-step step to make sure it, 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 it's moved along in, a, in, in the right way. And, and so I, I can't speak to that. I, I wasn't there, but I certainly, from things I've heard and read, I certainly get a sense that, that a lot of the, the players there knew he was really talented. Um, and then when he went to Fiorentina and Roma, look, still Great things happened. I mean, he was such a threat at Roma um, in, in, in these past seasons. And then finally, the, the timing of, of the move to Liverpool, 
the kind of football they play, that when you have Mane and Firmino and, and Salah, three dynamic attackers, um, and Salah with freedom to move from outside, inside, and, and dependent upon how the, the game is going and, and, and how they line up. But, uh, you know, he, he's... He's so dynamic and such a threat that uh, look the, the the this his age and the experiences he's had and then the way Jurgen Klopp's teams play all those things have have come together and he's had a phenomenal season. Bob, I wanted to ask you about the still open U.S. men's national team coaching job. I made the argument recently that if you looked at your resume without knowing that it was your name on it it would be obvious that you would be a candidate, a desirable candidate for that position. And it makes me wonder, obviously you have been the coach of the U.S. before, would you be interested in that job? Well, nobody looks at resumes without names on it. So, uh, <laughs> no, that's not happening. Uh, and, uh, look, I, I, I'm proud of what I've done. And I think people that along the way have paid attention players that I've worked with, I think they know what I'm all about. Um, but not everybody understands that or sees that. And so, uh, look, I've never let any of that get in the way of trying to make myself better, looking for new challenges. So uh, I've not had five official words since with U.S. soccer since I got fired. So uh, I'm certainly not a guy that they felt the need to – to uh, ask anything of or or anything else. So that's no problem. Um, you know, I, I always had this idea. And listen, I told Dan Flynn at a certain point that uh, this is who I am. I'm going to give everything I have. I believe in my work. I think the results, the work, the, 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 the way we played as a team, uh, the growth, I think all those things speak for themselves. Uh, you know, and even, even when I decided to stay on after the World Cup and you know, I, I sort of knew that the people who were putting the deal together didn't really picture it being a four-year deal. That was for sure. Um, but there weren't other opportunities at the moment. So I said, no, oh, what the hell? I don't care. I'm going to keep going and see if we can keep adding to the football part and make it better. And uh, and then, look, when it was over, I also said I'm, I was going to move on. And that was that. I wasn't going to complain. Uh, I wasn't going to go on TV and act like I had answers on everybody else, uh, I was going to move on and continue the part that I love the most. So uh, that's that. I've moved on. Um, we'll see what happens. It's certainly, you know, it's strange times. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the dialogue uh, since the Trinidad game, the level of discussion, the number of people who talk, who really have nothing to say, uh, look, this part has to be improved. And, and so we'll see little by little um, what will happen. I mean, in a simple way, I think I said it on one of the other podcasts, is, you know, when, when you want to have a discussion, you got to very quickly decide who's in the room and who's not, right? Because having the right people in the room gives it a chance to go deep and be real, but it's also just as important to make sure that the wrong people aren't in the room because they just interfere and get in the way. And look, all of this sounds tough and, and, and I get it. Maybe there'll be some people who would say, guess what? You know, you don't belong in the room. So that's fine. Listen, I don't, can I, just like players that I've worked with over the years, some, some I mentioned, I, I've enjoyed the experiences and, and know the way things were done, the quality of, the communication and everything else. And there's other guys that, you know what, it didn't go their way. And so they can't stand me. So I get that. I'm not too worried about that. And so, uh, no, I'm, I'm not on their list. That's that. I don't really, you know, I, 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 I still care about the game in our country. Um, I still, I've always been available for coaches, for players. You know, I, I, I've never looked past a guy that wanted to come to training or talk about why do I do things. So I, listen, I've been open and, you know, I, I understand. I haven't always been open with the media because sometimes there are hard things that get said on the inside and you feel they need to be direct and you don't feel like sharing every 
bit of of information with media. So yes, I haven't always been as open as some people think I should have been. Maybe that's fair, right? But having said that, um, in real discussions that have gone on, I've always I've been open. I engage people. I challenge people. Um, I disagree. I agree. Uh, but I, I, I have never, uh, shut the door on anybody who, who has an interest. And that, that was true in all my years in the U S that was true in Egypt, Norway, France, Swansea. Uh, look, that's who I am. So I, 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 um, I'll never change that part. And, and so when I read about, uh, well, it's a closed system and, uh, you know, I, and, and, and the arrogance, I, I get it. But you know what? I also challenge some of the people who, who talk about that they've been shut out. And I say, you know, listen, you're not the only one. You think you're the only one that, that uh, was on the wrong side of the railroad tracks at one time or another? And so, uh, listen, I have no time for people who, who just act as though, you know, it's a closed system. And go, listen, anybody can go out and show what they're all about. Go, go and start to coach a group of kids, right? Get involved. Um, make the football training that they're involved in different. And whether it's development academy, not development academy, affiliated, unaffiliated, unaffiliated, who gives a shit, right? Because at the end of the day, Anybody who goes involved with a group of kids and turns it into football-wise, something that's different and something that's real, is making a mark. And then when you do that, if you have kids that now grow and become better players, yeah, then the challenge is to make sure they're seen and everything. But you know what? That can happen. And so uh, the, this whole discussion still blows me away. I mean, I... I you know, I, 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 I didn't talk to all the candidates, but I talked to a few. And, I, you know, sometimes, look, Steve Gantz, I don't know him well. He's a nice guy. He's a bright guy. I think he ran for the right reasons. But he said to me, uh, well, the, we're not Europe. And this development academy system, it's not for everybody. And I said, he says, you know, my, I, he's got a son. And my son, he, you know, he's a good player, but he's burnout. And... You know, he wanted to play with with uh, his high school team and the development academy said no. And I said, stop. Then why was he playing on the development academy team? Like, you're the you're the father. He can choose whatever club he wants. Nobody said he has to play on that team Then go play on another team and play for your high school. There's nothing wrong with playing for your high school. Every kid should decide. OK, if you you know, when, when I was in Chicago. And I had a lot to do with the soccers. And David Richardson is a hell of a guy who's so involved. And he came to me at one point and he said, you know what? I want to start a program in the fall for the, because some guys are frustrated with their high school soccer. And I want to have a program that if they don't want to play for their high school, we'll still train, we'll play in a men's league, we'll go and uh, play in some tournaments. And he goes, what do you think? And I said, David, it's a great idea. Here's the most important thing. Let kids choose what they want to do. Don't make it mandatory. Mm -hmm. Right? So if a kid wants to play in his high school team and then come back to the soccers after the high school season, let him do it. And if another kid says, you know what? I want to play in, in David called it top talent. I want to play in top talent. Then guess what? Enjoy that part with him. So, you know, Michael, Michael was one year in Chicago area for high school before he went to Bradington. So he went to St. Vider when he was in ninth grade. Mm -hmm. St. Vider is also where Jonathan Spector went and where Mike McGee went. Mm -hmm. And Mike Taylor was the coach. And Mike Taylor probably had moments where he thought, guess what? Michael Bradley and Jonathan Spector and Mike McGee, they might make my high school team better. All right? And I think, I think Jonathan played one year there. But... Mm -hmm. But Mike Tiller still had good teams, and he still made sure that the other kids that played at St. Vider had good experiences. And meanwhile, when the time came, I said to Michael, what do you want to do? And he goes, no, I just want to play with David. So, you know, my point to Steve Gantz was, then why was he playing on a development academy team? Huh. Or if they, if they say he's burnout, well, you know, if a kid loves to play, 
and he's playing in environments where he's challenged the right way and where it's fun, then probably he's not burnt out. Now, if he's playing and the parents are screaming at everybody uh, and, and, you know, the, 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 all the decisions that are made are wrong and the, the training's no good, well, okay, then maybe he's not having fun. So find a different situation. So, you know, I, I just didn't buy into all these. I, it, to, to me, too many of the discussions had no depth. It was just like these, these basic topics, like, like people are saying, I'm going to cover A, B, and C, and you're like, okay, you know, please, can we, can we move forward? And, and, you know, look, even something like Allianz of Football, the great program that Brad Rothenberg has put together, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It, it's still a program in the United States. So Brad's doing a great thing. It's part of, it's part of something that's happening in the U.S. that's offering soccer for our kids. Now, should we pay attention to it? Of course we should, okay? But if a kid chooses to play there because his parents are working and that's the only place he can go, as long as we know who the good kids are and we're trying to provide opportunities and the choice is to play there rather than play on a development academy team that in some cases is flying all over the place and you, 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 know, you, you, don't, you can't do that. So there's pluses and minuses to all this, but anybody can make their mark. Mm-hmm. Who are some of the people that you would like to see in the room for these discussions? You mentioned people inside and outside the room. I'm not getting into a list. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, look, there are, there are people who have real experiences. If you want to talk about youth development, uh, look, if I gave a list, I'd be missing people, all right? People who have had real experience developing players, mm-hmm. all right? People who, who say, look, I've worked with, with this group of players. Here are some of the ones that have moved through. Here's some, some kids that have played, whether it's in college or have played uh, on this youth national team or have gone to this academy. Here are some of the experiences I had. Uh, you know, I, I mean, you, you, can, you can figure out who some of these guys are. I mean, I mean, you know, there, there's a there's a guy named Mark Snell, and if I have it right, he's a coaching director at a club in San Antonio, mm-hmm. and I think, and I'm not even sure, Graham, but you know, there was a, a Mark Snell that I knew from some soccer camps, who had been a goalkeeper uh, at Hartwick, not a starter who was a great guy. And I think now he has moved around in some different positions. And, you know, I, I think he's now in San Antonio and he's constantly, you know, a guy on Twitter who's throwing out different ideas. I think in San Antonio, they're trying to reach in different communities and they're trying to make sure that, that there's uh, sport courts and futsal fields and the whole bit, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Look, here I am speaking about him. I've not talked to him. Is it the same Mark Snell? I think it is. Hopefully one day, you know, maybe you'll listen to your podcast and he'll give me a call. <laughs> right? Right. But the point is that there's plenty of these guys. So if you say to me, yes, it is the same Mark Snell. And yes, he's been here and here and here. And now he has some real opinions on things we do well and don't do well. Right? Mm-hmm. Then should he be in the room? Shit, yeah. Okay. Uh, on one of the other podcasts, I talked about Charlie Adverso and moot soccer. Mm-hmm. Look, Char- Charlie has, has a real passion to try to get involved in the cities, okay? And he's got real experience. And so when, when, when Matt O'Sunday is, is going to Brainton and then ends up at, at Man United, then Charlie probably has some good ideas, all right, so should he be included in a lot of discussions? I hope so. Mm-hmm. All right, and so I think, and, and look, I, I speak to two that I'm aware of. I can, I can give you more names. Of course I can. I'm, I'm pretty tuned in, but I'd still be missing all sorts of guys, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the, the game in a country this big allows for people to make a mark in different ways. I mean, you know, I... I, I I always appreciated that. You know, I, I speak a lot about Manfred Chelsea. And obviously now in different ways, people know who he is. He's done so many incredible things. But in its simplest form, if you were a kid 
somewhere near Union, New Jersey, and one way or another, your soccer got you on a field where Manford was involved and coaching, then your soccer experience was different. And so if you started playing in situations that he was controlling, after a few years, you didn't play the same way as a kid who grew up in the same town who never found Manford, all right? So people who can make a mark, that's important. We need to recognize them. We need more of them. We need to, to make sure that in cities, in rural areas, everywhere, that we are trying to make sure that the game is being offered to all kids and, and in a way that allows them to grow. Uh, we need to improve in, in terms of coaching education because the, the challenge of how you create those environments, you can't just hand out a manual. Right? You've got to have people who understand how kids learn and what the game's all about. Uh, you know, Todd Bean. You know who Todd Bean. You know who Todd Bean is. Yeah, he's uh, he's connected to Johan Cruyff and his foundation, wasn't he? he? Yeah. So Todd played at Dartmouth. Um, he was a defender, and then I think he ended up in Barcelona and somehow was doing things for Cruyff's foundation. And I think he then married one of Johan's daughters and and spent a good amount of time around Johan. And as time has gone on. Todd has tried to take ideas of the game in terms of how you learn. He talks about the cognitive side. And, and you know, I, I've stayed connected with Todd. And what I find interesting is he uses different words and he comes from a different direction. But much of what he would talk about in terms of the game for kids is exactly the same as Manfred Schell said. Huh. It's exactly the same, right? And it has to do with how kids learn. It has to do with the fact that, that you, there's a part to our game, you know, re, you, 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 did you read the, there was an interview last week with Javi, you know, there's always these interviews that pop mm -hmm. up in different places. And Javi was talking about the part of the game, which is ideas and the mental part of the game and seeing things and understanding the difference between a good decision and a bad decision. And that still, at its core, that's what, what the football that he grew up with at Barcelona was all about, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so whether it's Manfred, whether it's Todd, whether it's Xavi or plenty of others, they make sure that, that when kids are learning the game that they are put in situations where they learn from the game there are situations that are created that have, you know, certain game model ideas so that players start to understand how to do things. And that includes how to be good with the ball, how to make plays, what's a good pass, when to dribble. But look, this is this is an interesting part of the work. Um, look, I'll give you one more story. Mm -hmm. uh, I could go on. I'm sorry. But, yeah, don't worry. you know, years ago, Claudio Reyna was the youth technical director. Right. And he, he now had been given an assignment to put together some written program. Right. And, and this has been done many times. Right. Bobby Jenkins had done a best practices thing. And so it's. Sometimes we, we reinvent and we reinvent. But Dan Flynn told Claudio when I was national team coach, you should really show Bob now what you've done. And, and I don't think Claudio was too excited to come out to L.A. to have to show me his, his uh, paper or PowerPoint or whatever it was. And he started going through, and, and at a certain point, Claudio said to me that – Something about players playing quickly and being able to receive and pass and do the right thing. Okay, do do it quickly. What foot do you receive with? What do you foot do you pass with? Playing faster, making faster decisions. And he said, "How we don't have enough players that do that." And I said, "All right, please. I don't want a PowerPoint. Let's have a discussion." So what I said to him is, "In this moment, you're right that we don't have enough players like that." But if Tab Ramos was in the room, Tab Ramos would also say that we don't have enough players 
who on their own can make an advantage, who can dribble, who can do certain things that, uh, on the ball that are a little bit different. And guess what? Tab is right, too. So if you're the youth technical director, here's your challenge. You are dealing with kids' coaches. And now, if there's a coach and he's got on his team a 10-year-old version of Clint Dempsey, who at a young age has a, a knack for knowing how to do things on his own, but actually doesn't have a good feel for how to always play with others. And on the same team, you've got a 10-year-old version of Michael Bradley, who at that age had a good feel for how to play with others, but still maybe could have been better doing more creative things on his own. Right? Then would your coach be able to help the Clint Dempsey 10-year-old be a little bit better at when to play with his teammates without losing the creativity and the flair? Would he be able to help the 10-year-old Michael be a little bit better at times at doing things on his own without losing the part that in terms of seeing things and connecting things makes him a little different? That's what we – like, do we have people who see both of that? And look, you could say the same. You could have the 10-year-old version of Messi and the 10-year-old version of Xavi. They wouldn't look the same. Or the 10-year-old version of PK. So when we're talking about all this and when we're talking about how we develop players, your ability to understand how all of these things are connected and then create environments. And if you're doing it right, then the young players that are coming through are not all the same shape, size, everything. And this is how you start to, over time, develop more players. And, and we don't do a good enough job reaching down and making sure that there are enough of those kind of people out there. That's going to take hard work. Well, Bob, you're always good for a real discussion. And uh, I appreciate that. Uh, I think people are going to enjoy listening to this. Uh, I'm sorry I kept you longer than I promised. I wanted to wind down by asking you, uh, if you are not going to be the next U.S. men's national team coach, who do you think it should be? I don't know. I mean, look, um, what, what do you want me to say? Uh, uh, a range of names? I, th- I don't know. Sure. You know, I mean, look, Pep Guardiola is a great coach. I don't think he's coming here. All right. Um, inside Major League Soccer, young American coaches. Greg Berhalter is doing an excellent job. Greg Vanny's doing an excellent job. Jesse Marsh is doing an excellent job. Uh, he, you know, look, what, who's even making the decision? All right. We don't even know yet they, because the GM position isn't filled and we don't know who's on the committee that's supposedly doing the hiring. I understand. But, but what are we hiring a GM that's going to have a feel for all this? Or are we hiring a GM who's going to do more administrative stuff? I have no idea. Do you? Right now, the sense is I'm getting is that as it's designed, this GM position is not attractive to some of the MLS GMs that they've gone after. Well, I, I, again, I mean... These are the real important questions. I mean, look, Dan Flynn and Jay Burhalter shouldn't be deciding who the next national team coach is, right? And I don't know if that's what anybody's thinking, but who are, who's involved in these discussions? I, I couldn't tell you. And so when you say to me, who's the next national team coach? Uh, look, I'm not one that I, – do I think we have American coaches that, that are ready and would do excellent jobs? I do. Do I think it has to be an American coach? Not necessarily, all right? But in any situation, you've got to have people who you – can't, you can't make decisions based on social media or, or, or the current climate. I mean, honestly, I, even, even some of the things that come out of U.S. soccer since, since the Trinidad game, I swear there was, they're, they're just responses to social media. Like, who makes decisions that way? So, look, we need some people who – who have knowledge, some people who have courage. We need people who, who have experience. And then they can sit in the room and they can decide some of this. I mean, look, Claudio can be involved in these decisions. Uh, you know, Ernie Stewart comes from outside, but he's done a good job. Fine, he can be involved. I mean, but get some, get some of the right people in a room and then, and then start to have some real discussions that hopefully take us in a better direction. And, and look, Every time I mention names, I can think of a hundred that I don't mention. 
So I'm not trying to right. jam jam names down anybody's throats. But having said that, like this is as you can tell, my frustration is just like sometimes I, I read certain things, I listen to what gets said, and then I just I, I feel like the level of the discussion isn't taking us anywhere. So Look, sorry to your listeners because obviously I've gone on and on and on. It's like my it's like my third rant podcast in a while, and it's not it's not my intention. But you know what can I say? Well, so good luck. Good luck with it. It's it's great to have you back in American soccer. I personally think it would be good to have you involved in the conversation even more with uh, with U.S. soccer, but. Uh, but it's still great to have you in MLS. But you didn't say that when I got fired, so you know it's too late for you to jump in now. What? So. Wait, wait, wait! Before you sign <laughs> off here, you brought this up. So what did I say when you got fired? Well, you said nothing, like everybody else. So that's the point. Okay. What I would say is, is that it's I... too late. And none of you listen. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not offended by it. But none of you guys said a word. Right? <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I. It's. I go back to those times, and I guess it was seven years ago. Um, I am not convinced that a national team coach should have more than one four-year cycle. Yeah, it's been bad for Yogi Love. No, obviously he's like the main exception of the last 20 years. <laughs> I understand, but like, like we, we come up with these generalizations that just don't mean anything. So, you know, like I said, if if... if if after 2010 I had gotten the right kind of opportunities, given the way things were being laid out for me, yes, I would have left after 2010, mm-hmm. right? But when it wasn't, then I rolled up my sleeves like always. We played a lot of really good teams between the World Cup in 2010 and the Gold Cup in 2011. And we lost in a final and a bunch of people said, oh, this is embarrassing and you know how I feel about that. I think that's bullshit. All right. I think it was a great game. And so, yeah, we lost in a final. I understand. So when they come a few weeks later and, and you get a five-minute meeting and you're out, then you say no problem. And like I said at some point earlier in the podcast, uh, since I've had literally like five official words with anyone in U.S. soccer since then, I, I get the message. So it's no problem. I'm not offended by it at all. Okay. Uh, it hasn't slowed me down. It hasn't stopped me from saying what I think. And most of all, it hasn't stopped me from trying to, you know, go on the field, challenge players, say, look, that's not good enough, uh, and, and try to figure out little by little how to help them get better and how to try to make teams that can play football. So I enjoy that part. I do think from where we are now, from a human perspective, people can look back and see Confederations Cup final beating Spain uh, winning the hex, uh, winning a World Cup group ahead of England, uh, those sorts of accomplishments, and winning gold cups, and say, well, I won, I won one gold cup, you know, yeah. I lost, but you know, look, I understand, we lost in 2011 uh, to Mexico. It happens. Like they were a good team. They had a great day. Uh, I think we had moments that day where we tried to step up and get after them, and. You know, in certain moments when balls turn over, we didn't make plays. But guess what? It was a hell of a game. And I, I've said that a million times. And so when I, see, when I see shitty finals and nobody says a word, right, then it would seem to me that in certain moments somebody might say, uh, guess what? I remember that game. That was a really good game. It so far, no. So, no. Nope. La- la- it's too late. <laughs> I know, my man. But I, all I'm saying is if you look back at those things and now if you're human and you see the U.S. is not in the World Cup this year, maybe you have a different perspective on Bob Bradley. That's all I'm saying. Well, whatever. <laughs> on that note, Bob, this is not the last interview we will ever have, thankfully. But it was very enjoyable. As I said, always a real discussion. I really appreciate you taking the time. All right, Grant. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Bob Bradley, as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the 30-minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available on Amazon with a free seven-day trial. Recent guests include Julie Ertz, 
John Sutcliffe, Erie Cisneros, and Matt Pence. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.